Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I guess we have to have this conversation again as award season comes to a close and finishes off with the Oscars. Okay, award season is not like any other awards. Please understand. It was Public Enemy's Chuck D. Bring the noise. Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. So, people were in my group chats, you know, talking about you know the Oscars. Oh, this should have been. Oh, this should have been voted. How is this not voted? Oh, how how is this person uh, nominated? Guys, yes, I understand. Okay. The Oscars, Golden Globes, Emmys, any form of TV or film, music even, award, okay? The Brits nominations came out, and I don't know if I talked about it, but fucking hell, that was garbage. Any of those, any of those, right? They are not the same, they are not on merit, Okay, they are not on merit. They're based on hype. They're based on hype. They're based on marketing dollars for your consideration dollars. That's all they are about. Okay, they're about having events where you can invite voters and you know polish polish your, their things. You know what I mean? That's always that's what it's all about. Okay, it's not based on if they like the film or not. It's based if they like the person who is in the film or made the film or produced the film, etc., etc. Right. It's not based on anything, okay? It's not based on merit. It's not based on how things look. None of that. It's not based on artistic merit. It's based on gas. It's based on marking, okay? It's not like a... It's not even like the golden boot, right? It's not even not even like the Ballon d'Or, which is most of the time, I believe, you know, correct, right? You can get the top 20 wrong, but you'll get the eventual winner probably correct, right? But this, Oscars, no. No, 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 no. Yeah, they they're always going to get it wrong because none of it. And artistic art, artistry isn't shouldn't be something that's you know based on a you know like a like a golden boot is like you know who scored the most goals, right? Obviously, very simple to to award to give, right? Even Ballon d'Or is you know voters, right? I assume um, yes. Well, so um, I think it's based on the French newspaper. I think I think a French something um, you know holds the key, keys to that, right? And um, yeah, so <laughs> but you know it's, it's 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 the same, but it's also different, right? But I don't know much about the Ballon d'Or. I just use it as a comparison. But please, guys, this is all a scam. Okay, this is all a scam. Be happy about you know whoever gets in, right? If I, I'm I'm currently gassing the fact that everywhere everything ever all at once got eleven nominations, which it wholly deserves as a film. Not sure about the script part because um, they put we see twenty ish times in there, and as a screenwriting, some would say snob. I just want better for everybody. Um, they put we see in there, and um, I don't think any Oscar winning script should have we see in their script. Um, but everything else. Michelle Yeoh, uh, Stephanie Sue, uh, yeah, all of that. The Daniels, shout, shout out to all of those. Shout out to everyone on that front. Um, 
but yeah, you know, if you're going to go like, oh, where's this person? Where's this film? Don't know what to tell you, man. I, I just don't know what to tell you. They, they just didn't put enough marketing dollars into it. And that's all it is. That's all it is. Don't be, don't be sad. It's fine. Don't be sad about it. If you like the film, you like the film. Be glad that you saw it. Don't really, doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But then again, it does because having Oscar nominee, this person, does a lot for someone's career. But anyway, and that's, and, and that's, that's all you have to ask. That's the question you have to ask yourself. How much is that prefix worth? That's basically it. How much is that prefix worth? But that's a question to ask somebody who's being nominated or someone who's a producer on that film and trying to get that guess, right? You, person that... Funny, all these, pe- all these people that are talking to me about the Oscars, right? You're not even going to watch the fucking thing. You're even going to watch it. I, I ain't. So uh, I'm off that narcotic. I was um going for, I was doing admin throughout um throughout the winter uh, for my pods and uh you know just uh, switching up the full full description notes and taking some stuff that ain't there anymore and that don't exist. Um, <laughs> and I remember just um the first uh the first few uh, majority of the you know episodes um during the winter time you know just a lot of award season stuff and I was just so man I was into that shit for for a while I was into that shit heavy. Especially during my student radio days, constantly talking about it, going through all the nominations, and then playing a the song. Hilarious. Hilarious in hindsight. But anyway, ran over, ran out of the way. Award season is a scam. You've heard it here first. And I'll say it, every, and I'll say it um, from, you know, talking to come. But anyway, uh, yeah, we have a, onto the show, I guess. We have uh, society, media, music, and TV. So very uh, nice, nice, nice wide breadth of uh, subjects. I'm cold as shit, and I can feel every breath I take. Uh, and and I might, um, I might, uh, I might freeze. My lungs might freeze up as I talk, um, because every time I take in a breath, I feel the cold going through and past my tongue into my fucking lungs. Anyway, that's that's that's, that's a nice image over. Before we begin, email, socials, writing all in the full show notes as well as the music for the show and obviously other five epn podcasts for you to get into uh and with that said let it be drop let's get into the show week where New Zealand PM Jacinda Ardern announces her resignation. The BBC will keep black radio stations of U-turning on consultation proposals to axe the programs from on-air schedules. Um, I did put a link in the full show notes to an episode I did last year um, uh, talking about this, um, hence why I put it here, just to give a update on that front. So uh, that's a very, very positive news to come out of there. Uh, Sajid Javid calls for patients to pay for GP and A&E visits. Hmm, interesting, interesting. Now, now they're starting to put their neck shot on it. Now, now they're starting to make actual, actual quotes about this shit, saying we have to pay for things now. We have to pay for what will soon be a private health service, not a national health service. I find it interesting how um, that's happening now, even though you know, for like we, uh, like we talked about on the pod, it's been going on for ten years, over ten years now. Um, so 
funny how that how how they're just um completely leaning into it now and just go like and you know maybe maybe you all should all pay for gps like we do because we're private um and none of us mps go to nhs because of course why would you you have the money why would you uh happy lunar or belated happy lunar new year um i think i'm the year of the rat um, if i remember correctly um so shout out to the rats out there and lastly, the doomsday clock is moved to 90 seconds to midnight. Ooh. I find it funny how they do that once a year and not just like every day. You know, it's just, just if, if it's going to be a clock, keep it to a clock. You know what I mean? But um, it's, it's funny how, I don't know, I don't even know what the, uh, what the, I don't know, the department or what, what institute, I don't even know who does it. Um, Atomic studies, I think, something like that. I don't know, but... It's just funny how the doomsday clock is a thing, and uh, yeah, um, I think I think we're all well. Are we all aware that the world is ending? Who knows? But anyway, we'll get there. So let's begin uh, with the police. So um, as you remember, last week uh, made it in a week where uh, where there was a person uh, who recently got fired um, uh, uh, from the uh, from the Met. Or UK police, whatever. Yeah, Met Police. Um, David Carrick. He admitted to dozens of rape and uh, sexual offences across two decades, and uh, was able, excuse me, able to work all that time and do his things and uh, continue being a copper, uh, which is outstanding. And uh, yeah, so there was some protests um, after recently after that. Um, some people put uh, plastic rotten apples. Um, uh, in front of Scotland Yard, and it said 1071, uh, bad apples, how many more? And uh, that's obviously referencing to the amount of quote-unquote bad apples um, that the that the police keep saying there are, and it's not a systemic issue. Is, issue. They keep, um, you know, deflecting, 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 and not actually facing the issue head-on. Uh, but this one is a nice uh, little uh, exclusive, exclusive, exclusive uh, quotes from an ex-Met PC um, who basically just um, goes off and spills the tea, um, as as the, as uh, some females like to say. Uh, so this is by Alana Francis via the iNews. Uh, it's called ex-Met PC. Officers call public slangs, make uh, perverted comments and ostracize those who speak up. So let's jump right in, shall we? Met police officer officers uh, refer to the public as slags. Routinely make further comments about women while on patrols and ostracise new recruits who speak out. A former, a female former PC in the force has claimed. Comes after another former Met officer told I, he quit the force within just 11 months after witnessing how quickly new recruits turn bad and adopt the culture of dehumanising language, and cutting corners. So he didn't. He wasn't even there for a year. The the boy was there for a year, less than a year, and he already saw how his own peers, uh, that graduated with him, and you know all that stuff, turned easily just adopted, and uh, uh, turned easily and adopted culture of dehumanizing and all that shit that police do. Funny how that works, eh? Bad apples. Bad apples, eh? Um, female police, a form, female former police constable, who I is not naming, had a history of employment in the criminal justice system and joined the force as she wanted to foster better relationships between the Met and the community. She told I soon, she soon discovered that what she had previously put down as hyperbole by the press echoed the stark reality of life in the Met. Quote, Whilst on training, I discovered that the Met calls the public slags, not in the sense you would think, 
but that they are slaggy or slags in general, she said. This surprised me. The male officers also drive around making perverted comments about women. Women officers are called Doris, unquote. She also described how male officers would, quote, discuss who they would have sex with daily, unquote, including female officers and members of the public. Another quote, I wanted to help the public and improve relationship between the police and the public. The former PC said, I was constantly reading negative articles about the police and I thought, you know, what's the point of moaning like these people? Join up and make a change, unquote. Reflecting on the David Carrick and Wayne Cousins cases, she said, quote, It is awful, but unfortunately, I am not shocked. I am never shocked by a Met story now. Before I went in, I thought some stories must be media exaggeration. Surely there can't be that many officers doing awful things. Sadly, I was wrong, unquote. Cousins is serving a whole life sentence for the kidnapped rape of murderer Sarah Everard in March 2021. Serial rapist Carrick, who admitted carrying out uh, 80 sex, acts, uh, sex attacks on women, during 18 years of his service as a police officer was called Bastard Dave by colleagues, a nickname boasted about to the victims he sexually assaulted. The PC said the term reflected typical terminology used by officers uh, to refer to one another and members of the public. Bastard Dave would be a normal use of language in the Met, she said. Shockingly, some of the women that uh, some of the women thought that some of the misogynistic comments and actions from men were fine and just banter. They were not. These women have entered the Met at a young age and this environment is all they have experienced and they think this is normal. Some of the men I trained with are, were trying to fit in and behaving in the same way as more experienced officers, unquote. Having worked on domestic abuse cases in her previous job, she had hoped as a police officer she could apply her expertise to improve the Met's response in this area. In this area. <coughs> Excuse me. But she claimed that her colleagues avoided mental health calls and disliked attending domestic incidents as they see as they deemed them griefy or, or a hassle. Oh my God, she added, "Quote: I attended a call for a man who had learning disabilities, uh, learning disabilities, so was taking time to speak to him and reassure him to call us again if anything further happened, etc. I was with a sergeant who walked off during this, saying, "I'm bored." This made me very angry. It was my first week. I kept quiet. Unquote. The former officer said the Met constantly impressed upon recruits in communications. It was, uh, quote-unquote, a disciplined service, but her experience completely contradicted this. She said, on an early shift regularly, I would get up at 3.45am to be in and ready for 7am. My decision, I lived outside uh, of London, uh, not an issue, to sit around till, nine a- till about 9am uh, doing nothing. Then... There will be 12 officers in two vehicles going for a cooked breakfast until about 11am. This, to me, is ridiculous and a waste of my time. And who's responding to calls and doing the job we are tw- we 12 are meant to? Unquote. On another occasion, following a murder, the XPC claimed the uh, experienced officer made her and a colleague leave a vigil for a murdered child early because they were hungry. This attitude towards the murder of a child disgusted me, she said. I was at a vigil for the child that the community set up with another new officer and an experienced officer three years in. They wanted to go back to the station for food. We asked to stay as we were meant to be showing a police presence and doing uh, reassurance patrols. They were not allowed to stay despite us doing unaccompanied patrols when necessary for other incidents. Despite being uh, talked out of resigning once before she handed in a notice for good, the ex-officer said... She still questions whether leaving was the right choice. I was, and still am so disappointed, she said. I love the actual job serving the public. 
helping people in worse times. It was hard work to get in and to go into a young environment. I was 46. I was. Uh, I sometimes wonder if I did the right thing, but for me, the thought of being uh, part of the Met was embarrassing. Dealing with people in a rude, uncaring way was not something I could stand by and see and not be able to challenge it, unquote. Figures attained by Ian last month suggest she is far off from the only one thousand police officers recruited under Boris Johnson's flagship like 2019 manifesto pledge to boost numbers have already resigned by December. While the officer said uh, she knew of eight colleagues from her intake who have quit because of the culture, uh, quote, in my experience, what is being said about the Met is completely accurate, she said. Many officers are arrogant and childish and uh, they think they are untouchable and will all cover for each other uh, so are protected. As a probationer, you can't speak up or you'll be ostracized. You can be like them, keep quiet or leave. I tried the keeping quiet and I and knew I was at my limit and would not be able to keep quiet much longer. So I resigned, unquote. She added that a female colleague uh, who reported the bad behavior of a male colleague transferred to another force because of the backlash she received after speaking out. Senior Met officers have spoken about changing the quote-unquote keep quiet culture of the Met but the former PC said the toxic culture is so entrenched, quote, you are made to feel like dot 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 if you speak up, <coughs> excuse me, you won't have a career, you won't ever get a promotion and it will be a nasty atmosphere, dot dot dot. You'll be a- you wouldn't be able to stay in the job. Many officers in the Met are arrogant and believe they can get away with anything as a lot of them do. There is a mentality of us and them, the public. The toxic culture is so embedded and anyone who can't be in that environment leaves. There are too many officers raised in the Met and when people like us speak up saying please change this, they really don't care, unquote. Deputy Assistant Commissioner Baz Javid, uh, responsible for the Met's professionalism command, said, quote, there is absolutely no place in the Met for racism, misogyny or any other form of discrimination and we have been working incredibly hard to remove people from the organisation who cropped our integrity and let down the dedicated, honest majority of officers and staff. Baroness Casey's interim report into our culture and standards uncovered systemic failures in our misconduct system, and we are working to address these, including by putting a significant number of extra officers into our anti-corruption and abuse command to proactively root out those who don't be- who do not belong in the organisation. We recognise that people may not feel able to report wrongdoing directly to the police, and we have developed a strong relationship with the independent charity Crime Stoppers to become the first UK force to launch confidential reporting services for our officers and staff, as well as members of the public, unquote. I love it when, um, re- uh, like, stories like these, because, um, you know, you have to have, you know, uh, a representative of, you know, the other side, quote-unquote, right? And you have to, uh, you have to uh, cover that base um, as a, you know, in terms of uh, talking about a story, right? Or telling a story. And it's just, it's just hilarious because... It is just you get all that, and then, <laughs> and then, and then you get just a you know just a quick quote, <laughs> quick 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 tidbit from um, uh, Baz Javid and uh, and the like. <sighs> it's just um so what I I do I I ask this question to myself right all the time, and I generally don't have a solution for it, and I wonder if anybody does because clearly this is a majority issue, not a minority issue. This isn't one bad apple. This is the entire orchard. This is a systemic issue. This is something that um, the Met Police, especially, um, obviously, since they're the Metropolitan Police and based in, obviously, based entirely in London, um, it's very easy to um, 
It's very easy to get at them. But, you know, UK policing in general is just shit, right? Um, but it's obviously the Met Police, so, you know, kind of like the... Um, kind of like an easy target, right? Um, but this is this is the case in a lot of police forces. You know, it's not one bad apple, it's a whole orchard, right? So what's the case here? Do we just fire everybody and do a rehiring process, you know what I mean? Or do you have to do a background check on every other on every police officer that's under the under the payroll right now. I mean even as I say that I was just throwing that out there but I was like hmm <laughs> that's actually kind of a good idea. How about we do that? So maybe that is a a first step. That's definitely a first step towards the solution because clearly clearly these people just don't give a fuck and they think they're invincible and because police are the most unified force in terms of community, right? They see themselves as a community and it's just like, if you rat out one of us, we're going to fucking hate you for the rest of the time, right? And I get it. I get it. Um, because police, you know, think that, well, well you know, we're constantly on the front line. No, 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 no. You know, you see all the propaganda shows, right? And they just, they just see, they just, you know, pattern themselves as, as like, um, you know, we're out there every day, you know what I mean, on the threat of death, on the, on the edge of, on the edge of life and death, and, you know, all that, and, you know, what, while, you know, maybe they do, um, in certain countries, right, I don't know about the Met, bro, I, I don't know, bro, like, you know, all the time, every single, every single day, how, how's homegirl, coming in at 7am and then getting breakfast at 11am what is she doing those few hours like seriously what are we doing here so i don't have a outright solution but i do feel like a good start would just be yeah check all these motherfuckers check them fucking all one by a fucking one check their phones check their fucking group chats all of that shit and yes it's an invasion of privacy but do you want to get down to this fucking issue or not I don't have another solution. If anybody has another one that's less invasive, please do suggest one because I'm not here to, you know, just um, infringe on anybody's rights. But fuck me, man. If these police are trying to be police, right, and we're supposed to believe them and we're supposed to rely on police, hey, man, I want to fucking know if they have a rapist in their midst and they call him Dirtbag Steve or whatever. Like, fuck, what, we, what the fuck are we doing? You know what I mean? So yeah, check police, background check, every fucking single one of them by any means necessary at this point. Unless, unless, unless there's an alternative. Speaking of background checking some motherfuckers, media reform. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, uh, as I've been referencing for a couple of years now, British media is garbage. Um, British mainstream media is garbage. Even as I, even as I constantly learn about things, I'm just like, damn, damn, the Guardian's doing that, you know what I mean? Or this paper's doing that, and I'm just like, fuck, I can't, like, you know, I, I've, I've, I've actively tried to hop off you know, reading Guardian stuff recently, um, and, you know, I'm, 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 you know, trying, trying to broaden my, broaden my horizons, you know, look at new, look at different sources, um, for the same story, because when you do that, when you look at, when you look at one story and see how people tell it, it's very interesting, 
is extremely interesting. And it's not as simple as, um, you know, Daily Telegraph being centre-right or uh, The Sun being fully right or The Guardian being centre-left or, um, you know, whatever, be, you know what I mean? Or The Independent being centre, right? It's not about that. It's not as easy as that. Um, the Guardian may be quote-unquote centre-left, but they come through with some bullshit, right? They, you know, they fucking rinsed Corbyn. They led the attacks on Corbyn during that election between him and uh, Theresa May. Um, they led that shit. They were supposed to be the people's, you know, the Labour kind of, the Labour paper, right? But they're coming at Corbyn with, like, bullshit. So what are we doing here? But anyway... Um, as an overall take, I wanted to read this um, by Brian Cathcart uh, via Byline Times called Britain Needs Media Reform and uh, subtitles now. Um, so, yeah, easy, easy subject to get into, um, definitely. Um, and, uh, yeah, just uh, something that it, it easily uh, can be uh, uh, sorted, I feel. Uh, but anyway. Britain is in a terrible and worsening mess, and it can never really uh, change for the better. That is to say that no politician or party, no matter how well-intentioned, will be able to set it firmly on the path to recovery without media reform. That doesn't mean tinkering at the edges, it means wide-ranging measures that go to the heart of the problem and make a serious difference. This is at least as important as any other reforms that are being promised or contemplated by opposition parties. The dire state of our news media is not just a symptom of our problems, it is a principal cause of them. They have been uh, dragging us down for years. Led by a handful of national newspapers owned by people too rich to pay their taxes, they played a leading role in driving UK out of the European Union on the basis of lies, and have since developed, uh, helped deliver a sequence of catastrophic governments that have brought shame and ruin on the country. And those are the only, uh, only the most obvious signs of their damaging influence. Is uh, is thanks to the false, cruel scroungers agenda propagated by these papers that we can't have a humane welfare system. Thanks to them that governments uh, can get away with uh, destroying by stealth the national treasure that is the NHS. Thanks to them that our teachers are underpaid and our education system is creaking at the seams. Thanks to them that ministers are able to treat desperate refugees as criminals. And thanks to them that we have a tax system that enriches the rich. But it's even worse that for many years, politicians have been unable to propose policies that could make this a better, kinder, more prosperous place because they fear the response of the press. Rational, evidence-based public discussion is often impossible, as if we all guess at a dinner party where one person insisted on shouting continuously through a megaphone. The effects can uh, can be seen in the state of British policies on climate change, policing, crime, justice, race, immigration, defence, drugs, poverty, unemployment transport and more proprietors editors reporters and columnists may not be the only ones responsible for putting the uk on the path to becoming a failed state but we delude ourselves if we refuse to see how central their role is we need to break out of this and it's possible if our politicians accept the need for and the potential of media reform what would this look like there is nothing wild-eyed or extreme about it nor should it be expensive. Some key ideas come from government-sponsored publicly funded studies, the proposals of which have been unfortunately buried by ministers too frightened or corrupt to act on them. Others involve little more than applying the known principles on ethics in public life and the principle of uh, political independence more effectively to public service broadcasters 
and the regulators and to the manner in which resources are distributed across journalism. There are five measures that applied together would make a dramatic difference not only to the UK news media but also to British life and the country's prospects. Number one, end party political influence over the BBC. Thank you, fuck. Do you understand? It's so, it's so hard on the day to day watching BBC News to get it. It, it, it is is hard. It is actually kind of hard for the regular person to clock it. But then when you're showed it in a clip or whatever, ah, oh, it's just so it, it, it comes off as so obvious. Once you're directed to the issue, and then you're t- and then you and then they give you an example. Once it's tailored to you to actually realise the agenda that they have. It's actually kind of interesting. It's it's very fascinating um, how the BBC clock it. Um, but anyway, let's, ju- let's jump right into this bit. So, yeah, any part of political influence over the BBC. No. Uh, the BBC is the country's most followed and most trusted news provider, yet recent years have seen the government uh, asserting political control over it due, uh, to an un- unprecedented degree. That affects what the BBC covers and how it is reported. Bad though it, bad though this is, ugh, that's a weird way of saying it, it is only a worse version of something that has been happening for decades. So we need to remove politicians from any involvement in BBC appointments and ensure that those in charge of the corporation are independently and transparently selected on merit. Excuse me. As long as the BBC is funded by the public, it, is, uh, it must continue uh, to be democratically accountable. Uh, but that can be achieved without uh, letting ministers pack its management with cronies equally. Measures should be put in place to ensure that the periodic BBC charter renewals require cross-party consensus and so cannot be used to advance partisan political objectives. There must, there must also be an end to ministerial influence over appointments at Ofcom, the body which regulates journalism at the BBC. Many would welcome these changes as a means of putting more, more spine into the BBC's journalism, so often criticised now for its timidity in challenging government and its feeble acceptance of the news agenda, of the corporate press. Number two, invest in the future and in regional and local news. Uh, like so much else in life, the way news is delivered and received is changing rapidly, with the 2019 Can Cross Review uh, concluding that to protect the interests of the public and of journalism, this was not something that could just be left to the market. Uh, Can Cross, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but you know, Cairn, Cairn, it's, it's, it's given off in the Irish, Karen, Karen Cross, uh, suggested uh, creating a powerful national body, body similar in scale to the Arts Council that would oversee new investment in news media, directing it in ways most likely to serve the public. What investment? Two principal sources uh, suggest themselves at the moment, though others are likely to emerge. One is levies on big tech such, uh, companies such as Google and Facebook that make un- unimaginable sums for trafficking in news. Steps are already underway to claw some of this money back, and we need to ensure that the cash is used for the service of everyone and not to the line the pockets of billionaires. The other source is the public purse. As a society, we need to accept that a good news supply is a public service for which, as with other public services, we must be prepared to pay. This is particularly relevant to the supply of regional and local news, which is vital for democracy and for which no other viable business model seems to exist. As with the BBC, so the Cairn Cross Star Body must be rigorously independent of party political influence. There can be no question of enabling future ministers to channel resources to crony news organisations. Number three, independent, effective press regulation. 
The mission of the 2011-12 Leveson inquiry uh, into press ethics was to design a form of press regulation, including regulation of what news publishers disseminated online. That would both uphold uh, uh, journalistic standards and protect members of the public from cruel and abusive treatment. The Leveson recommendations on this were approved overwhelmingly uh, by Houses of Parliament and the struggles uh, and the structures were then put in place. A functioning regulator in press has been in existence since 2013, but Conservative governments set the big national papers off the hook. The result is rampant inaccuracy, discrimination, intrusion into grief and other abuses, which relentlessly poison our national debates uh, and cause untold harm to individuals and groups. An essential part of media reform will be to make participation in the Leveson Standards Regulator mandatory for news publishers. This is not censorship, censorship nor would it inha- inhibit... God, these words are tripping me up. Inhibit decent journalism that serve the public interest. The Leveson model is rigorously independent of government and of the industry, and in the hypocrisy of self-regulation, under which papers write their own code of conduct and then refuse to enforce it, can move our uh, press towards greater accuracy and higher ethical standards to the benefit of all. Moreover, because it includes measures relating to privacy and libel law, the Leveson system has the potential to extend journalistic freedom, liberating investigative journalism from unfair constraints imposed when wealthy individuals and organisations tie them up in expensive litigation. Number four, reform of news media ownership. The domination of our national regional press by large corporations, several of them owned by extremely wealthy individuals or families with no particular attachment to this country, is unhealthy for our democracy and indefensible. It is perfectly possible to legislate to break up these monopolistic organisations, just as it is uh, possible to introduce ownership tests that are more likely to to accord with the interests of the public. Again, this is not censorship. These would be uh, reasonable measures in the national interest defending democracy and free speech against billionaires with megaphones. Number five, Leveson 2, Electric Boogaloo, (laughs) at the behest of the big newspaper companies. The Conservatives cancelled the second phase of the Leveson inquiry, which was supposed to investigate uh, proven criminality in several of those same companies for which there has been no proper accountability. Leveson 2 is an essential element of news media reform. <clears throat> Only a, a thorough public inquiry uh, can clean the stables, holding to account those individuals and companies that broke the law. Only a thorough public inquiry can give us any assurance that criminal activities are not still happening and that proper measures are in place to prevent them. Only a thorough public inquiry can enable the news industry to start rebuilding trust and in and trust in print news in the UK is disastrously low. If it is included in an election manifesto, this programme of reform will undoubtedly lead to outrage and hysteria in the national press, the views of which are likely to be echoed in much of our weakened broadcast media. This furious cacophony of complaint is likely to also be accompanied by vicious personal assaults on those who propose it, but would that really make a difference? Whatever our opposition parties propose or don't propose in the next election, they are bound to face frenzied hostility from most of the press, again, meekly echoed in much broadcast reporting. The real question question here is not whether the press will oppose media reform, but whether politicians currently in opposition really want to be able to govern if they win power, whether they really want to introduce rational, evidence-based policies that can make Britain a better, healthier country. 
if they fail to tackle news media reform as a priority that is uh, properly signalled in their manifestos, then whoever wins the next election will condemn themselves at best to a few years in government in which they will only be able to fiddle at the mar- margins of what is wrong with the country while the corrupt old media system closes down their options and chews away at their authority. So long as the billionaire-owned legacy media retain its power to drown out the voices of reason and experience, to distort the facts, to promote fear and panic, and to mount dishonest and hypocritical personal attacks on those who get in their way, nothing will really change. Politicians who allow that to happen might as well not be in office. Reform will not silence the hysterical voices. It's not meant to. Because censorship is not the objective. Instead, it will allow us to see it allows all to see them for what they really are. Destructive fringe opinions promoted by billionaires whose interests are routinely at odds with those of the British public. Sensible democracies protect themselves and their citizens against such forces. And that's a really, I think, um good point to leave on actually. Um that's a great finish. Um that yeah, the, the while while I can understand that people can think that, um, and you know, to some degree, it's maybe true. I don't know, right? In in terms that while one person, while like a Rupert Murdoch owns this thing, right? Be you know, News International, right? And you know that includes you know Sky News, for example, right? Um, is he is he parroting into K Burley's ear? Asking Mick Lynch about, you know, uh, oh, will this be the same strikes? Uh, will this be similar resulting strikes as like the, the one in the eighties, uh, which were, you know, a, a, a fucking media bloodbath, right? In <laughs> as well as a literal bloodbath in some ways, um, you know. And then he obviously put down that question easy, and he's done that several times. For example, uh, you know, in as a decent example, Mick Lynch has really done well in terms of just like breaking down that stupidity that the in in the questions they ask it's like leaning towards um accusations and stuff like that it's like and you're taking government talking points right um and obviously as you can imagine if it's the tory government you best know they're in cahoots with those fucking rich people that own these certain institutions so this is the thing and this is why labor's so fucking disappointing in my mind right now while they're trying to be tory light um, dietory right now, because they're not going. They're gonna, they're basically already, and they haven't even won yet. They haven't even, you know. Regardless of what the polls say, this is why I don't really care about what the polls say. Because regardless of anything, they've already kowtowed to the ideal that the media will um, shit on them in any every way. This is why Corbyn lost in my mind because the media just fucking run absolutely roughshod on him. For, for little to no reason, just because his his politics was a little bit to the left of the normal person. That's fucking crazy. That's absolutely fucking crazy to have that. To have the media as a whole just fucking chew his ass out over the smallest of shit. Um, and, yeah, yeah, man, I can see why people might think that, oh, no one's talking to Kay Burley, but uh, Rupert Murdoch isn't, you know, whispering sweet nothings into Kay Burley's ear, right? Yeah, sure, sure, probably not. But you're in the media, if you're in the media machine long enough, you're going to be, you're going to be acting like they want you to act and you won't even fucking notice it. That's why I don't watch shit like Question Time or Politics Live like the BBC host. It's just... 
because they just keep putting fuckers on there. And it's just like, we don't need these voices right now. These voices ain't fucking helping. And, you know, they, they'll they they'll say, you know, oh, impartiality. We need to have all voices. No, 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 no. It's like, but fuck me, bro. You have these voices one-on-one most of the time. What was that for? Oh, I saw one the other day. Well, they were talking about Boris Johnson. And his fucking sister was there. Why the fuck is she there? Why? What the fuck is that? How is that impartial? I, uh, it's just... Uh, yeah, but yeah. Point proven, point made. Um, but this, this, this won't happen because every politician is fucking scared. Fucking scared of the media. Come of of the Sun and all those papers and BBC in some ways, Sky News, all that shit, right? Talk TV, GB News, right? All of these people coming at them for having a slightly, slightly left of centre view. Do that, communists. Can't do do that. You'll get your ass chewed the fuck out in the same way Jeremy Corbyn did. They literally held him up killed him politically and just went this is what we'll do to you if you don't go Tory light and what did Labour do capitulated they capitulated and that's where we're at right now that's where we're at so I I don't see this reform happening anytime soon I would love for it to happen especially on the local news scene I definitely think that's a very um, uh, unappreciated and underspoken of part of this issue Um, there's actually a great example in America of just like how local news is dying over there and just being eaten up by corporations um and it's kind of like the same things happening here um but you know without reform none of it all of this is going to continue and we're going to continue having tory light issue uh, tory light um views by a party called labor <laughs> embarrassing absolutely embarrassing We're going to finish off with uh, something that relates a little bit to me, to how the media responds to things. Um, but we'll get to that at the end and uh, book it and we'll bookend the show with that and uh, get into music because um, uh, the homie, uh, the homie Brandon Hill, uh, Central Source uh, managing editor and uh, OK Player, I don't know. Writer, I guess. I don't, I don't know what his official title is. Um, <laughs> and obviously, host, co-host of uh, 5 EPM Podcasters at Source, dropped a banger a couple of weeks ago. And I wanted to get into it because I found it very interesting. Um, he uh, put in a lot of research, um, put call, uh, called a lot of people on it um, in the research and uh, got some expert views and uh, dropped this seven predictions for the music industry in 2023 via OK Player. And uh, yeah, I just found it uh, at a glance very interesting, and I wanted to uh, talk about them um, and uh, give my views on them, just to see what see Wagwan on that front. Because uh, yeah, I feel I feel like it was very fascinating. Let's get be, let's begin. Uh, this consu- the consumer is changing. Despite the doom and gloom rumours of a recession, fans are willing to invest in a small number of artists if they feel a sense of community. However, building community for indie artists isn't a given. Social media tools like TikTok are promising avenues to reach consumers, but tech companies are volatile and act in self-interest. Uh, Web3 holds some promise for helping artists amplify and understand their connection to fans. 
but it needs to get more consumer-friendly to impact the industry on broader terms. The kind of fans who will buy the physical album or the NFT are created by the communal experience of live shows, but touring for small acts is more of an investment than a windfall. Even if artists manage to break through and smartly use the tools available to them, outside factors risk limiting their scope. Uh, Monopolies over the live entertainment industry choke out both the consumer's budget and the creator's leverage. Traditional streaming platforms show no willingness to become more lucrative for music makers, but artists are eager to continue organising for better working conditions. On an optimistic note, even if economic outlooks are sour, music itself remains recession-proof, so much so that private equity firms are actually spending billions of dollars on purchasing purchasing the publishing rights of musical artists as they project it to be a recession-safe investment. Um, as I think Justin Bieber recently is the most recent uh, person to do that. Um, I think that happened yesterday or the other day. Industry is changing, and change means new opportunities. To find out how those opportunities and pitfalls might play out in the new year, OK Player gathered some expert predictions for the music industry in 2023. So first one is, more artists will embrace a DIY spirit. Uh, the age of digital media has brought an influx of tools and information to independent artists that were once firmly locked behind the gate of major labels. It no longer takes massive budgets and closely guarded connections to promote a project to, and grow a fan base. Quote, uh, there are so many people that uh, are like, you need to stay on this one particular track, but that track never existed. Michael Stowe Stover, an artist development specialist and marketing consultant, told OKP over a uh, video interview, there's an unlimited amount of ways to get in front of your audience and actually build a fan base, unquote. 2022, Indie Artists increasingly made use of forum-type platforms to connect with fans beyond the music, beyond the more static social media posts. Artists create groups on the chatting app Discord or share conversations on Twitter spaces or Instagram Live. They further utilise the streaming infrastructure of Twitch to collaborate with fans in real time. Quote, Knowledge, uh, with the next, uh, is the perfect example of someone on Twitch who's just making beats and getting their audience involved and then selling the music because they're so involved they want to buy it, Stowe said. That fan-to-artist engagement interaction is really where things are going to go for the next three to five years. The average consumer's annual spending on music actually rose 5% in 2021 to $98, uh, where just a decade ago, the proliferation of free music downloads facilitated a why-would-I-pay-for-music attitude. And incre- uh, the increase in spending today uh, is boosted significantly by sales of physical media like CDs and vinyl that are supplementary to the ability for the consumer to stream the recordings at a fraction of the cost. Quote, it's difficult to create music on that streaming income, and some others have taken the time to explain that to their fans, though, said. Okay, I realised I took a few minutes to get to number one, and we have seven of these, so I'm going to um, I'm gonna save them, and I'm going to pick the one... I'm going to pick one or two that catch my interest, okay? So, the second one is, creators will crack the TikTok code. Oh, God, that just sounds horrible to me. <laughs> this is why, even if I wanted to be an artist, I just I don't think I'd want to participate in, participate in all this. Oh, there we go. Web 3 will not be going away. <laughs> See, um, shout to B, because I, I knew he would add some some form of this, and uh, I know he was kind of like on the in, interested, on, uh, on the outside looking in, interested in what, how, uh, in how Web 3 is going to evolve. Um, so I knew he would talk about this in some fashion. I just can't do it. I can't do it. Web3 in general, as a concept, I get it. But NFT, if you put the word NFT in anything, I'm just going to tune out. I think this is, as I record, this was the year anniversary of that oh, absolutely jarring 
video of uh, Paris Hilton and Jimmy Fallon uh, talking about their own fucking NFTs uh, on uh, on Jimmy on Jimmy Fallon uh, uh, Tonight Show, whatever it's called. And uh, I don't know if you if you guys haven't seen that clip, just yeah, type up Paris Hilton Jimmy Fallon NFT, something like that. Um, and it's just a really a really soulless conversation. <laughs> it's just really weird. And like people are clapping for their NFTs, and it's just like, and Jimmy's like, "Oh yeah, th- this looks, this is so me because you know I wear, a ha- uh, uh, you know, I like yacht rock, you know what I mean, and that's why he's got a a a, a, a boat hat." And I'm just like, "Ah, oh, kill me, please, kill me now, please, kill me now, please, video game me right now." Um, but yeah, um, he has there's there's a significant chunk of this uh, article that is based upon that. So shout out to him getting into that. Uh, number four, the touring situation will get bleaker. Okay, let me give this a read because I find this. I I I've talked about this before on the show, and I feel like this is an important thing. Um, so let's get into this. Not that I'm saying Web three isn't. Am I? Maybe I'm. Who who knows? Who knows? I can confirm nor deny. Despite being the first year of a full return to live music events, 2022 was not ideal for most performers. Noble Indie Acts with huge fan bases like Little Sims, Goated, Sandy Gold and Animal Collective had to cancel entire tours because of poor financial prospects. Quote, The cost of everything is up to the point that artists feel that it may not be worth it. They can't make a profit. John Kellogg, Program Director for the Master of Arts in Music Business for Berkeley Online, Wow, that's a long ass title. Uh, said over a video interview, I mean, everybody's on the road, so you have a number of factors, unquote. Years of limited to no options for touring means that delayed tours, even for old albums uh, from major t- major t- t- ticket selling artists like Tame and Parlor, are competing in the same year with tours for new albums for, from major ticket, se- major ticket selling artists like Kendrick Lamar, Bad Bunny, and Taylor Swift. Is Tame and Parlor like old? old on that front like if you say like Grateful Dead then yeah I get it but like okay I don't know interesting example Um, not only does the consumer have a limited budget for live music events but the inflation and glut in the market raise for price uh, raise the price of tour buses hotel rooms stagehands and every other lion item on the band sheets Uh, quote I I don't expect it to level out probably for another year or so Kellogg said that glut is still going to be there because people are so interested in going to concerts so they're going to buy the tickets Leering over their mahogany desks, rubbing their fingertips together and licking their chops. Providers of events and owners of the last venues left standing. Further choke out the small acts by driving up the cost of major tours and booking only acts that keep the stadium lights on. Yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, I don't know if this is... <coughs> I, I, I don't know if this feels... Um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this whole conversation because... You know, you're mentioning the big ticket items, right? The Kendricks, the Taylor Swifts. And obviously there's a problem there. You know, obviously if you've seen the Taylor Swift Ticketmaster issue and Ticketmaster in general um, in America, especially, that's garbage, of course. That's trash. And I'm personally not paying over 100 quid for any artist. Um, The most I've paid is, funny enough, Kendrick. I think I paid 90 for that. Um, But, you know, I've, I've had, out of all of those, out of all the shows I've been to, most of them for me have been a fucking bargain, okay? Uh, I went to see J-Rock and uh, Schoolboy Q for like 30 quid. <laughs> or I think it was uh, 30 or 50 quid, I forget the number, but something like that. But even if it was 50, I feel like that's worth it, 25 each. I, f- I fuck with that. I think that's kind of decent. Even now, um, I got a word that Patrice Russian is coming to the Jazz Cafe um, in March, and that's only 38.50. 
I'm good with that. That's okay. Che Lingo, 1705. I'm good with that. Slum Village, 2750. Decent. Teague's the Author, 1760. Decent. Uh, and yeah, Blue Lab Beats, 12 quid. Are you kidding? Come on, bro. Easy, easy, P. Easy, easy. Uh, Odyssey uh, in May 2740. I think, you know, there's, if you, if artists can tour, um, then I feel, you know, we, I feel like I'm getting a bargain on most of these, right? And I, I think there's a, I, I don't know if there's like a difference between just the, the smaller artists and the bigger artists here that it's just like, it's not worth it. Or is there like a, choking of the middle class you know because you can get a, you can get a good you can get you know i know is are touring you know what i mean and they're like you know doing small venues right and they're touring but they're touring right they're still touring um and they're doing their things and they're surviving maybe they're not making the best p um but they're touring but then you have someone like little sims who are consider like let's say in the middle class here and she can't go to america so What's the steez dead? She's currently in Europe doing bits. So she can do Europe. Um, and obviously we've talked about how the exit have affected UK artists um, in recent years. So I don't know. I feel like that's a, a, a broad conversation to have. Um, but to say to say it's going to get bleaker, uh, I, I, I overall agree with that particular sentiment. So I'll agree on that one. So number five, funny enough, we talked about already. Ticketmaster Antitrust Case Will Shape the Future of Live Music. And I don't know whether that's just for America, um, so I'm going I'm to I'm move on from that. But, you know, obviously we have Ticketmaster here, but we also have, like, Gigantic, a- AXS. Um, I, I use Dice, you know, even the play, the, the the things I was, um, re- the shows I was referencing, I, I literally just went on Dice. So, you know, there's di- there's different spots. Ticketmaster doesn't have, I think, the the chokehold on, uh, on live music here than it does in the US. So in the US, I can understand why B would make that uh, assumption. Um, six, musical artists will organise for better working di- conditions. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Long read on that one, um, but highly uh, agree with that one. And lastly, the publishing rights buying street will continue. <sighs> See, I, I, I'm, I'm so fascinated by that particular subject. So fascinated um, of just why I are doing that and I, I just I, I the the anti-capitalist in me is just like ah keep your shit own your shit own your own your publishing rights you know what I mean but I don't know man I, I, I just don't know but um highly um encourage you guys to give that a read um I'm just I just didn't read it all for the sake of time but I highly encourage you to do so shout out to B uh for dropping a banger and uh yeah we'll leave it at that and move on to the last subject Last one, we get to TV, and uh, this is fine. Oh, God. I just realized I've I shit, I'm shitting on myself here. The Guardian, <laughs> as I referenced the Guardian earlier, uh, but this is good. This is good. Um, so, this is by Shauna Hagen. It's called uh, Black Teachers, Trans Women, and Cleaners, and Cons How the BBC's Open Door Allowed uh, Real People to Let Rip. Um, and this was fascinating because I remember a um, I think it was called Play for Today. 
um, that I read about uh, on the show. I, I was trying to find it. I was trying to find the episode in question. Um, and I wanted to link it, but I couldn't fucking find it. I didn't put any reference to it any uh, whatsoever. And uh, yeah, I just couldn't find it for the life of me. Um, but um, if I do, I'll, I'll give it a cursory. I'll give it another glance. I'll, I'll try and find it and put it in the full show notes. If I have it, if I haven't done it by the time this episode drops and it's not there, then I couldn't fucking find it. Um, but regardless, um, it's interesting how. There were so many shows and so many things going on in the 70s, especially, um, that had these really groundbreaking shows. And for some reason, I just never heard of them until now. And I find that really weird, um, including this. So let's jump right into this. In 1973, Mike Phillips was uh, working as a teacher in Paddington when he was contacted out of the blue by the Community Program Unit of the BBC. Soon afterwards, he found himself presenting a program about the ways in which black children were discriminated against in the British education system. Entitled Black Teachers, it was broadcast late on the evening of 16th of April 1973 on BBC Two, with Phillips chairing a studio discussion and introducing some hard-hitting film reports on the issue. Looking back, it all seems quite strange, says Phillips, who went on to become a journalist and celebrated crime novelist. Not at least uh, because at that time you could walk through the BBC building and not encounter another black person, What's more, there were not that uh, many black teachers in British schools, but we managed to find six who felt like I did. Uh, felt like I did. Uh, we had to make a uh, we had a point to make, and we made it as aggressively as possible. It was a big deal when it came out because it was just wasn't done, uh, wasn't the done thing at that time. Black teachers was one of the first programs featured in a series called Open Door, which remains Britain's most radical experiment in public access te- access television. It was created and produced by the Community Programme Unit, CBU, a small department in which the BBC headed by Rowan Ayers, a legendary figure within the corporation for his democratic approach to programme making. For each episode, the CPU provided a studio, camera crew and technical assistance to various activists and groups who had, as the corporation put it, voices, attitudes and opinions hitherto unheard or seriously neglected. To the horror of many traditionists within the corporation, the producers of Open Door also gave these previously marginalised voices complete editorial control. Ooh, scary. Uh, Though though launched in the early 1970s, the programme's ethos was firmly rooted in the 60s, a decade in which youth-led cultural shifts had challenged long-held attitudes to uh, deference and propriety. Uh, Quote, there was a general feeling among some of those who worked for the BBC that new genres excuse me, and formats were needed, uh, elaborates uh, cultural historian Matthew Harrell. Harrell, Harrell, Harley, Harl, Harrell. Uh, p- people like Ayers, God, I'm messing up words here, Ayers uh, felt strongly that the BBC should reflect the broader social changes that were underway, but also that working class and alternative voices needed to be heard. In 1972, young David Attenborough had drafted an internal proposal for community programming that had said... Uh, exactly that. Open Door was a direct result. Quote, what is striking now, says Harrell, uh, is how many of the subjects they tackled. Immigration, housing, workers' rights resonate strongly today. Harrell is the uh, co-curator of an intriguing exhibition that is due to open at the Raven Row, Raven Row? Raven Row Gallery in London. Entitled People Make Television, it focuses on the emergence of DIY television in the 70s. It features around 100 Open Door programmes, of which only a handful have been seen since their original broadcast. The exhibition will also include examples of other public access programmes 
there were broadcasts on several short-lived local cable TV stations in the mid to early to mid-70s. Uh, there are three points of entry to the exhibition, says Alex Sainsbury, uh, director of Raven Row and co-curator of the show. You can wander around and browse a selection of open-door programs or sit on a sofa and watch a single program of your choice. A media library has been installed on the second floor that will provide access to the full range of programs. The content runs the gamut from the prescient, uh, a program from 1973 hosted by a trans-sex liberation group, to the worthy but dull The Case for Chance Musicians Union, <laughs> made by none other than Spike Milligan. Quote, I think the installation might require a shift in consciousness for contemporary viewers because Open Door is the opposite of today's seamless television, Sainsbury continues. The editing is often rough, with sudden breaks in the narrative flow that now seem oddly jarring. It's really about the emancipatory possibilities of handing over editorial control to often, often radical young voices who are strongly critical of authority, and in particular, the police and politicians, unquote. I can't imagine this show being done now. I really can't, but I fucking would love it. I really would. This would sound... I, this is amazing to think about. Oh my gosh. Imagine that. Imagine fucking trans sex liberation group type shit on TV. Like imagine... Oh gosh. Imagine the, so, the, oh, the, the fucking outrage that the media would have like oh my gosh the sun would have a fucking field day anyway perhaps the most well-known open door program was the provocatively titled it ain't half racist mum an exploration of unconscious racism within the media that was aired in 1979 and co-presented by the late cultural theorist and political activist Stuart hall the goat shout to Stuart hall the goat absolute legend one of its main targets was the bbc itself with its most respected presenter of the time, Robin Day, coming in for some strong, uh, coming in for some strong criticism for his chairing of a 90-minute debate called "The Question of Immigration." The quote-unquote guest of honour, as Hall put it, was Enoch Powell, the Conservative MP, infamous for his rivers of blood speech in 1968. Day quoted Powell. Uh, this is the, pro- the. There you go. Stop right there. Let's stop right there. That is exactly what the BBC do now. All throughout the all throughout the exit shit. For the past 10 years, I think, I, I forgot the statistic, but it was like um, the most uh, the most appearances someone had on Question Time in like the past decade, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, so don't quote, this isn't a specific stat, but I'm paraphrasing, that like the, the person who was on Question Time the most uh, throughout the past 10 years or so, I think that was the time frame, was funny enough, Nigel Farage. And that, that right there, that right fucking there, is literally the issue. That is the issue. And because he was MEP and MP of South Thanet, they th- they thought, you know, he'd have a reason to be there, right? But fucking, you know that ain't the fucking reason why he's there. It's not just because he's an MEP. It's not just because he's an MP. It's because he's the fucking vocal voice of all of the shit that we're going through right in the fucking now. And that's the... Fu- and and who, who else do you have to combat that? Probably some, you know, some... Ah, uh, fuck! I don't know, but you know, just go look up the quote. Uh, go look up the video of like um, a Carla rinsing Tommy Robinson, who is in the fucking crowd. He wasn't even on the panel. Why is a Carla arguing with the dude on the fucking audience? That shouldn't be happening. Okay, there's a reason you have a panel anyway. But it's just funny how they have Enoch Powell 
years after the Rivers of Blood speech and everything that went uh, that happened after that in you know the UK Black Power Black Black, black Power movement, everything crazy how they just you know just threw him on there just because it's, it's funny and on the quest of him, question of immigration. <laughs> It's, we know his fucking views. We get it. Like it's, it's, oh, it's hilarious. Anyway. They quoted Powell as an expert witness. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's not a fucking expert. He's not a fucking expert. He's just an obsessed little fucking shit. That's all it is. Oh, this is the problem. The wording. The, how you... how the, the titles you give these people. He's not a fucking expert. He didn't read any fucking papers. He just didn't like fucking brown people. That's all it fucking is. Calling him a fucking expert. Ah, oh, that's that's the that's the shit. It's these little words that they use. What are they gonna call Farage an expert on 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 fucking immigration? No, he fucking ain't. He just don't like fucking brown people. That's what it fucking is. Just a fucking racist. That's all it is. Anyway. Expert witness throughout and steered uh, the debate in a way that angered Hall. Quote, as soon as you start defining black issues in terms of numbers and repatriation, he argued, you play straight into the hands of extremist racist groups and their solution of forced repatriation. Unquote. Today, the episode makes for queasily uncomfortable viewing the use of clips culled from sitcoms like It Ain't Half Hot Mum, uh, highlighting how much popular TV comedies of the time often peddled the most offensive racist tropes and stereotypes to the delight of their white studio audiences and how interesting it is that I've never heard of that show until now and now I'm going to look up a clip right after this and cringe as soon as I turn it on uh, as soon as I click on it uh, back then the rationale within the BBC seems to have been that if racism was cloaked in humour it was harmless of course um, Love Thy Neighbour is another show um, that was very cringe, and I have seen a bit of that, and I told my dad about it. He was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyway, though frequently contentious and often garnering negative headlines in the right-wing media, there we go, there's that again, Open Door ran for a decade, allowing myriad campaigning groups. I'm surprised it went off for a decade. I'm genuinely surprised. I'm surprised it didn't get killed within two years, uh, including an anarchist, female priests, ex-convicts, and office cleaners to have their say on national TV. Inevitably, it sometimes crossed the line from provocation to offence, as with a controversial 1976 programme that gave airtime to the unapologetically racist Britain Stop Immigration Group, viewed from the perspective of today's more ideologically driven, I think it meant to say driven, and relentlessly shill uh, shrill uh, social media driven culture though many of the programs uh, seem almost quaint in both uh, in terms of both their informal structure and the earnestness of their present of the presenters as Hall points out uh, though the arrival of public access to TV via open door was a pivotal and prescient moment in the history of British media and culture prefiguring the launch of the initially unruly and raw channel 4 in the early 80s it, yeah that was kind of what I was thinking about was like so this kind of like set set a platform for like the channel 4 to exist because channel 4 you know was and is in some way still making you know just different shit um <clears throat> anyway uh, it was uh, definitely a testing board for channel 4 he says there you go but in its own right it was groundbreaking we tend to underestimate how radical it was in the early 70s to see marginalized people being given airtime to speak freely about their experiences also the programs were not made to be entertainment and did not adhere to the formal rules of current affairs or documentary programs. It was a living, breathing experiment, unquote. 
Maggie Pinhorn was uh, one such radical voice, an alternative filmmaker who had made name for herself in 1970 in 1970 with Tunde's film, a hard-hitting drama set in the East End of London that trailed a group of teenagers as they tried to find work. Scripted and co-directed by one of the kids, Tunde Ikoli, and featuring songs composed by Joan Armatrading, it was... What a fascinating name that is, Joan Armatrading. Uh, it was uh, screened at the London and Edinburgh Film Festivals and brought Pinhorn to the attention of Ayers. Rowan was a visionary source, says Pinhorn. He believed passionately that ordinary people should have a platform on the BBC to express their views. When he contacted me, I sat down with some East End people I knew and we came up with the idea of creating our own spoof TV channel with local news, weather reports and even cookery programme. The result, East End Channel 1, is a lively parody of traditional TV formats, with one segment featuring local youngsters spoofing Alan Wicker as they solicit views from passers-by. Pinhorn managed to convince a few celebrities, comedian Marty Feldman, TV scriptwriter Johnny Spate, and the late Clive James to appear in walk-on parts playing themselves. James was also imp- was so impressed that he reviewed the show glowingly in his Observer TV column the following week. I asked Pinhorn, 50 years on, how she feels about the, pr- uh, the moment when the BBC allowed voices like hers and a working-class East End collaborators to be heard. Quote, For me, it was radical because back then there were huge numbers of people in this country whose voices were never heard. I remember it fondly, and so do the people who are involved in it. I know that because I still see them from time to time. Once you create something like that together, you are friends for the rest of your life. Unquote. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's great. Outstanding. Um, people Make Television is at Raven Row, uh, London from 20th of January to the 26th of March. Ooh, I might hit that up. I might hit that up. I'm gonna hit, I'm gonna try and hit that up one day. That's fascinating to me. That is so fascinating to me. Like play for today. I remember it was um. So for those that um don't remember the episode, as I clearly fucking don't. <laughs> I, I'm so pissed. I can't find the episode. Hopefully, I'll find it um as I look to, uh, later tonight. Um, but play for today was um when I read about it, I was just like, oh, we need that now. We need that now, bruv. Now, compared to this, um, and just so you know, just so you know, Play for Today was a anthology drama series, and uh, yeah, basically it just um, featured you know original works. Um, had the likes of um, even like Ken Loach doing some episodes. Um, had writers. Uh, I'm trying to read the writers, and you probably have never heard them. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Mike Lee directed um, some episodes. Um, but yeah, there's stuff like um, uh, fucking I don't know, trying to trying to find a popular one. Uh, controversies. Here we go. Um, oh fuck it, you you can just look it up. Fuck it, like you know, play for today. Look up the Wikipedia. Did 300 episodes, and apparently there's 28 missing. Um, and aired from 1970 to 84. So that's very fascinating. Have how like they literally just got um, you know, original adaptations of stage plays, novels and you know original shit uh and they and they were real they they were like some real shit um real dramas and they you know were very ahead of its time and it's the same with something like open door now i don't know if open door would exi- would like obviously it won't exist now because the media as we as, as we talked about they would just you know constantly bitch and moan like oh these oh bbc's gone left again no 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 bbc's always left lefty 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 right 
And um, even when it's like, um, you know, Jenna's talking about <laughs> janitorial work and it's like, you know what I mean? It, they'll just be, they'll always find a way. They'll always find a way. Oh, communist Jenna's um, take over BBC Two. Uh. Um, and I, I, I don't know if in this, you know, when a place like the world we're in now where everybody can get a, can get a voice, right? They can get a voice through, you know, Facebook, Twitter, IG, Tumblr, Medium, Substack, don't really fucking matter, right? And they can all get an audience, TikTok, right? They can all do this. They can all get a voice and use their voice for whatever agenda they want to use it for. Um, would that make, would that, and I don't know whether that, or that entire ecosystem of social media and just how we can all have a voice now um, would make something like this redundant. Um, but I do feel if this was made today, I feel um, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would support something like this. Um, it'll be an interesting free speech exercise. That's for fucking sure. Um, and if you keep it relatively, you know, small and grassroots and local, like um, you know how it said you know, at that time there weren't many black teachers, right? And there probably still ain't that many black teachers. So I feel like that'll be very interesting to get their views on things. And you know, black teachers on a monolith, you know, there'll probably be some black teachers that vote Tory. There's black teachers that don't vote at all, vote green, whatever. I'm sure there'll be that kind of stuff. You know, obviously in that political intersection I just used. But, you know, in terms of talking about racism in class and how to um, teach teach about racism, hey, and maybe they don't want to talk about that. Maybe maybe they want to talk about other things. But that'll be the, that'll be the interesting giving them that, that important part, those two important words, editorial control, giving them that would be so fucking fascinating as an exercise for me. To me personally, a very fascinating exercise to give them the keys of editorial control for them to talk about whatever they want, do whatever the reports they want and talk about whatever the fuck they want and how they want to talk about it. I just, I, it, oh, oh, I might, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make some time I don't know if I'm going to go there with people or just go in there on my own, but I'm, I'm going to hit up that Ravens Row. I'm going to hit up that place and I'm going to see what's up. Uh, I'm definitely going to want to see what that uh, that Stuart Hall episode um, uh, is about and see what's going on about that. But um, anyway, I'm over for my time, ladies and gentlemen, from the 5th and Podcast Network. I've been trying to say this has been most good intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks to Chill Music for the ability to use track. Find both their links in the full show notes. And thanks to Friend of Five of Unite Me Higher for the ability to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, hope you all have a good week. I shall always try and do the same. But until next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.